Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, our first attempt to unhinge the unholy alliance between government and the private sector. Noah pays a heavy price for his love of hitting the bottle. We'll chat about hunting mystical experiences with the Grateful Dead as Belilly reveals that he has met Albert Hoffman himself. The Zen story of the wrestler in the big waves, the incredible staying power of flying dreams, and learning that the time to be nice ends the second the first punch is thrown. And now, asking you all to spread the word that corporations are not people, I'm Rajivers. And my partner in crime, Daniele Bulali, the savage philosopher, the middle finger of the gods. Bury your treasure, put your kids to bed, and most importantly, hide your women. The Drunken Taoist Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 44 of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Now, we're entering into that kind of crazy summertime phase where we record a stack of these so that we can make sure that you good people get your bi-weekly dose of the Drunken Taoist. So, uh, this one might be a tiny bit dated, but it's quite crisp and awesome, and there may be drug stories inside of it, so you never know. Oh. And oh, across from me is Mr. Daniele Bolelli to tell you more. Indeed. Um, before I forget, one quick thing. Those of you guys uh, who are donating to the podcast, because, again, we are in this crazy madness of pre-recording episodes, so I may not be able to get to you, announce your name for quite a while. If I never get to it because I screw up and some I put you in one file your name and then three months go by and I forgot about that file or something. So, you know, by the end of summer you donated before, I never mentioned your something. Shoot me a message because it has happened before that I completely screw up and if it wasn't for one person emailing me, I would have forgotten about a bunch of people. So, no, you're not offending me by no means. Actually, you're doing me a favor. It's just that occasionally... I'm mildly organized, but again, mildly is a relative concept. Having said that, a big thank you to those of all those of our sponsors who keep us on the air. Datsusara on knit short design t-shirt. Datsusara for hemp gear, and both Rich and I use the bags all the time. Love everything that we have received from them. It's just such awesome products. And we started to get some mileage on them too, and they they look almost untouched by time. Yeah, by the time I these... think I had a zipper tassel that frayed a little bit. Oh my God! Can you believe it? I'm gonna have to report it. Yeah, no. This by the time this episode is rolling, I will be in Italy probably with uh, my trusted Datsusara bags with me. So again, I'm not telling you guys anything that I don't use. So that's Usara, awesome company and brilliant gear. Same can be said about onit.com. There's a lot of their products. Again, there's so much on their website that I'm not even 50% having tried all of their stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff that I can't vouch for because I haven't tried, plain and simple. The, there's a lot of stuff that I have tried and some of my favorite are definitely in the sport and uh, food sections. I haven't really played with the supplements all that much yet. But uh, all of it, I mean, what I've got so far, I'm very happy with. And I like on its policy that particularly with the supplements, you want to try it and you decide you don't like it. That's it. That's all you have to say. Didn't do anything for me. 
please send me my money back and you don't even have to send the box back or pay for shipping or any of that stuff so that doesn't hurt to be able to try freely like that and um speaking of not hurt short design t-shirts you wear them and your skin gets happy in every conceivable way they are truly the softest things on earth the designs are brilliant so much of the artwork is glorious there's a lot of uh, some of the new ones that um, i'm wearing one right now is uh, with the strains is uh, the art is the art is inspired by different strains of weed which seems quite appropriate for today's episode considering that altered state of consciousness and substances to lead you there will be discussed at length so, we like to refer to it as medicine thank you yeah no and i agree and i think that and like all medicine you can abuse it and you can screw it up and use it poorly and then it's a bad thing so i'm not one to argue that they are good 100 in all situations there is no such thing but in many situations done the right way that's a whole different story so on that note in any case a short design t-shirts check them out he's just redone his whole website very cool um there's a right now i don't know if it's still on by the time you guys hear this but there's a very goofy picture of chris ryan at the top of the website pretty funny and uh, so that's as far as our sponsors go of course as usual if you guys do any shopping on amazon please 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 use our amazon link that would be very sweet anything else we want to add now or we just get rolling and keep it for the outro happy summer sound like a plan let's roll Father Bellelli has another fantastic tale from you from that rusty old book that everybody loves so much, the Holy Bible. This week's adventure comes from Genesis. Father Bellelli. Members of my flock, my deepest apology for having missed our regular monthly appointment last month, but the Vatican called and there was business that needed to be taken care of. But don't worry, I am back with yet another inspiring tale that should... uh, deepen your love for the lord today's story for lack of a better term let's entitle it noah drunk and naked sexually assaulted by son i am deeply deeply offended by what hollywood has done by taking parts of the holy book and turning it into the usual commercial over the top not true to the holy word of god kind of thing you know the movie noah with russell crowe is russell that the- yes and i direct that blasphemer aaron Aronofsky, the director <sighs> typical hollywood you know editing the true message of the bible the true contents chopping the story up <sighs> and in the process missing some very important detail that you know so let's go what truly is in the bible in the story of noah and why hollywood not putting it in there is clearly a sign of depravity on their part i can't wait to hear today's story is entitled noah drunk and naked sexually assaulted by his son 
And again, I cannot possibly understand why Ollie would, would cut this part out of the story. No, that sounds like they would feature it in the trailer. And instead, that's not the case because they are do not follow the true word of God. Let's get down to business. So the background to this is, you know, God creates the word, order humans to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, there's a... We humans seem to piss off God on a fairly regular basis. So there's a complicated relationship there between creator and creatise or whatever it is called. I get the feeling I'm going to get to use my smiting sound again. Well, it happens a lot, right? And the flood and this and that. There's all sort of killing left and right down because God is constantly disappointed with his own creation and we seem to fuck up badly. I meant to say we seem to uh, fall short of the grace of God on a fairly regular basis. Probably deservedly getting the punishments that are... Yeah, it's always a little tricky, you know, some of those crazy atheist agnostic whatever they are just not good people on the book keep bringing up this annoying issue of if humanity's sinful nature if humans have been created by god then who created their sinful nature and if god is omniscient and knows everything that's about to happen and already knows that human beings are going to be using free will poorly then do they really are they even responsible for their action or is the creator who's to blame but clearly this is some demonic communist attempt to undermine the truths of our holy book so we won't even address that let's just get to something meaningful instead you have uh, the whole story of Noah and the flood. Everybody knows that, and we're good with that. Okay, now we can move on. But after the fact, after you know the earth dries up, and uh, you know they can get their foot on the ground again, and everything works out. After you know the whole flood, where <clears throat> God had decided to flood the earth and kill most everybody because human beings were so wicked and terrible. A mega smiting. Yeah, a gigantic mega water smiting. And that's when the dinosaurs missed the boat because they were slept in, and so that's why they went extinct. But in any case, so what happens is after the earth dries out and Noah is happily the survivor along with his family of the flood. Noah decided it's a good idea to plant a vineyard, because what's the point of being the only survivors on earth if you can't have some wine? So he planned the vineyard, and as the Holy Bible tells us, he drank of the wine and was drunken. Slightly redundant, but in any case, that's the point. So Noah is wildly drunk, he passes out in his tent, and uh, again, as the Bible tells us, he was uncovered within his tent. Uncovered. Hmm. So Noah's youngest son, Ham, again quoting from the holy book, saw the nakedness of his father and did something very bad to his father. This I'm paraphrasing, but it's still, that's what you gather from reading the words of the holy bible. Hmm. Then what we hear is that Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him and is not really all that happy about it. And so from there on, he curses his son. And from here on, the story, many scholars interpret this to be that the curse is not just Noah against his son, it's also a curse against all of Ham's uh, descendants, which in a very self-serving way later, uh, particularly in the South during the Civil War, they would interpret it to be Ham was a darker-skinned guy, so all black people are really destined to be servants or servants, which basically justifies slavery. 
But sadly, they didn't say exactly what Noah said when he woke up. He didn't wake up and say, damn, this wine makes my ass hurt or anything like that. So that, there's no clue. That's, because I've heard it could also be that he cut his dick off or something incredibly right. wacky like that. And Noah had no other children after that point. He was like 640 at this point, so he might not have been up that for That also, it. yeah. And the Viagra switch. tree had not been quite planted yet. <laughs> but... You know, there's another line in, in there where his other sons come in and, like, back up, not looking at him, like, ass first, don't peek with a towel to right. cover him. Yes, that is. And so. is it Ham that actually was cursed, or was it Ham's son was the one that was cursed? And Ham didn't, so this motherfucker didn't even do anything, you know, just out playing with his dark skin, having a nice afternoon. No, Ham is the bad guy in the story. But he's Ham's the son, one who, he's cursed as well, and uh, all of okay. his descendants. Because in typical biblical fashion, you don't just punish yourself, you get punished for the sins of your ancestors. Because, you know, it makes sense, right? Well, and if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because it's in the Holy Bible and you need to listen. So quit raising fucking points that are too difficult to address. I'm sorry. In a, sorry, Father Bellelli. Oh, damn it again. But You'll learn to question people. Question? You do not... <laughs> oh, my. Do we have to go over it again? Nope, you nope. do not question. Back to my corner. End of story. Thank you. <laughs> now, there are three options about the bad thing that... Ham did to his father. Option number one, the tamer one that some people give, is that he just saw his father naked, which was a big taboo, and you shouldn't. And that was bad enough. Other people say, well, that's usually a euphemism for having sex with somebody. So the fact that Ham raped Noah. Option number three is the one you mentioned, which is uh, he decided to castrate him, which again may have something to do with the past ongoing between Noah and his son and some bad things going on there. Because again, why the hell would he do any of the above? Either rape him or chop his balls off. That neither one is particularly polite. So I don't really, you know. But that's basically. So again, the sinfulness of Hollywood that they do not stay true to the word of God and they put this in the movie as they should have is if you're going to report the story of the Holy Bible and instead they decide in their usual fashion which only promotes sex and violence to edit this edifying mess oh wait that doesn't make sense no don't be questioning uh, in any case they did not follow the true word of God and that's bad 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 Hollywood you burn in hell with that, you guys have been enlightened by what the true word of God is and why Hollywood need to burn in hell. Disturbing, huh? Where did all the papa raping come from? And so, what do we number at that point? Seven? Or maybe this is a few years in time for the vineyards to grow, so maybe there's 17 humans yeah, on the planet at this know. point? It's, yeah, it's not going well, but having sex with your drunken father, not an inspiring tale. No, that usually just doesn't come out of thin air. Makes me think that maybe Noah taught him. Ooh. Well, where does that notion come from? Ooh. See, now, a a revenge rape from a son on a drunken father. Let's record this. Let's throw all Uh, this back in. Well, we're still rolling. Let's You know, upon upon further review, you know, I I am disturbed by all this. and, And, yeah. Where does such an idea come to a son from? I mean, there's not a lot of, no internet to check out can't google papa rape so it gives me the notion that perhaps ham was stuffed ham a few times himself oh my good god such blasphemy but and yet yes if indeed the pages of the bible are telling us that of this lovely father rape story of the father being raped by the son 
yes that is the question of where all of this come from and what motivated it and all of it which is more than a tad bit disturbing there's not a bonus chapter somewhere we can get filled in and all that no that's lonely day at sea day 33 that's the beauty of the holy book is that you can uh, it's open to interpretation Noah was down in the lower galleys watching the lions stare at the gazelles for the 57th time. Right. Wondering how this was going to work out when we opened the cage. How many gazelles will we have when they are eaten immediately upon their release? Yeah. Something... There's bad math all through that. There's some bad story in there. This is a fact. But for those of you who suggest that bringing up son raping father in the pages of the holy book makes somehow the holy book any less holy how dare you well and then just use that to uh say that slavery is okay yeah that i can see how became slightly problematic in time yes but we no longer embrace such an interpretation today we are free from the errors of the past <sighs> today we just confine ourselves to accepting the reveal the truth that the dad was raped by his son and accept it as a mystery upon which we do not engage in further questioning for clearly is a mystery that's beyond our rational understanding. Certainly there's a more pleasant book somewhere. How dare you? You... Look, I, I, over and over again, if you want to go with what Jesus had to say, that's a pretty good collection of things, even, unless you're a fig tree, of course. Mm-hmm. But this father raping, God smiting, you know, let's kill everybody. They don't make me happy. I think I read somewhere that God's responsible between like 30 and 40 million deaths in the Bible. And the devil is responsible for 11 on the directive of God. Yep, your mind has been clearly twisted by demonic influences. I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I think we're going to have to cut this segment because I need, Father Bolelli, need to step in and perform an exorcism at this time. I am I am very sorry. We just need to Help. take a quick break. Help! Help! I'm on south! I repent! That'll be enough Sunday school for this week! I'm sorry. Rich, I'm still repenting. Rich is still throwing up green bile left and right, <laughs> but his head has stopped spinning, so I'm fairly sure that the demons have been cast. I am now. Pazuzu. Be quiet already. It's time to rant. Rant. Let's rant away. So among the things we're going to rant away, oh, this has nothing to do with anything. As absolutely, it's a non-sequitur to what we are talking about before or what we're going to be talking about in a minute. But it just came to my mind and it's just so bizarre that I have to bring it up somehow. When I was six months old, give or take a couple of months, I was nine months old, I don't know, but somewhere in there, my dad took me to the zoo and he put me up on his shoulders and so i guess i was closer probably to a year or so that my head kept wasn't floppy and all of that so he was keeping me on his shoulders and uh, as i was um, you know mov- moving around in the uh, around the zoo taking a look at all the animals we came close to the g- giraffe enclosure and apparently we went close we saw them and i was making my goo goo gaga sound being all happy at seeing it and one giraffe took a particular interest in the scene walked up to the fence, stuck her neck right above the fence, sniffed my head, and licked my head at that point. With the giant purple giraffe tongue. With the giant purple giraffe tongue. 
I think that I think somehow that explain a lot about everything else about my life. It certainly does. And uh, being licked by the purplish tongue of a giraffe when I was less than a year old on my lovely bald head. You're the chosen one. Was, yes, I think that's exactly what it means. I, I'm here to, I'm the giraffe messiah. I'm here to bring back something to something. I need to figure out still what something is and to what something is, but it, it must mean something awesome. When uh, when my children were much longer, we were in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and out there they have ostriches mm. oh. that you can go feed. They're mean, aren't well, they? Well, it seems like an awesome notion when you're you know fifty yards from them. Yeah. So they give you these little couplets of ostrich feed, and this giant bird head comes up over your top of you and starts pecking like hell yeah, into the cup, and it's just ah. That does not. We were sound not like... the chosen ones of the ostrich clan. We were chosen for consumption. Yeah, no, ostrich are mean creature. Giraffe are cute and lovely. I like giraffe. Giraffe are quite awesome. Yeah, that's how. I mean, talk about the universe having a sense of humor. I mean, who designed a giraffe? A Whoever, genius. It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely it's brilliant. Just nature design. Yeah, we need something to get the mid level of the trees. I'm sorry, did I hear nature design it? Do we need another exorcism oh, here? Not again. Jesus. Help. Okay. So, on a different ranty note, um, it is one thing that is worth uh, bringing up. If there's one law that I would pass, when it comes to, you know, all the political problems, and we've discussed this, you know, when you hear, uh, if you deal with politics in any way, shape, or form, whether you listen to podcasts, whether you just read stuff about it, one thing that shows up over and over and over again is the very unholy alliance between private sector and government. The fact that we do not live in a democracy or even in a strict oligarchy per se. This is a plutocracy where money buys everything, including politics, including... And the way it works is simple. This, by the way, is not just limited to the US. It goes... It is true for the overwhelming majority of governments around the world. Guess who's up for the next exorcism? (laughs) Keep digging your grave there, sir. Indeed. But the problem here is that you need a lot of money to run for office. That money does not come just from the old lady who like what you have to say and send you 20 bucks. That money is a serious corporate money. And, you know, if you are from a corporation and I've just donated heavily to your campaign and you got elected, I'm not trying to control your vote. You can do whatever the hell you want on 99 other issues. But the one issue that has to do with my corporation... Well, you better remember who put you in office and who facilitated you having that position. So you was one favor. Now, when you get into office, by then you owe one favor to one corporation, one favor to another, one favor to another, to another, to another. So before you know it, just the very nature of the game means that there are other people who are pulling your strings the entire time. What? Right. No, no. Dramatic revelation that let, nobody... Let me take it back have. just a tiny bit just to make sure I understand yeah. here. Let's say... Congressman Rich, who was poor, yep. went to the evil corporation that, oh, maybe produces some sort of something. And in that process, maybe they need to dump something into the river. Precisely. Now, they would maybe give me an endorsement mm-hmm. with some zeros behind it. In exchange for that, maybe down the road when the EPA comes along and tries to do maybe some regulations about dumping shit into rivers... I might not go for that. You are a genius. The exorcism has clearly worked well, and that has increased your IQ, too. But this confuses me. 
it seems to me my job as an elective member of my society is to help out the folks who elected me, not the folks that gave the money to me. They're just trying to help me get what my constituents needed put together, right? Of course, and that's what it's all about. So I should be protecting the people so they don't get poisoned by the river, but Uh, then I don't get money next time. Oh, what to do? Dilemmas, dilemmas. So the nature of the game is that in politics, it doesn't even matter who you are, it doesn't even matter who the candidates are to some degree. There's going to be the guy who really hates his guts, there's the guy who's more pleasant, but at the end of the day, the system itself is rigged in a way that doesn't really, you know, you don't get to that point of winning elections on a big scale unless you have sold out in 3,000 different directions. It just does not happen. It's not an issue of give us good candidates where nobody who's, uh, can make it to that level and still play that game without having to make 16,000 compromises. So the issue to me is not an individual issue. It's not a candidate kind of issue. It boils down to one thing and one thing only, which is money in politics. So how do you deal with it? You know, there have been all these laws about trying to limit campaign contribution from corporations, this, that, and the other. And on a fairly regular basis, U.S. Supreme Court just getting rid of all those regulations one after another after another. But here is where, to me, it all boils down to where we actually may have something to say that's not repeating the same story that you guys have heard 17,000 times already in every aspect of life. How do you deal with it? Well, think about it. All of this system was designed pre-internet. All of this stuff about, I mean, because what is that they need money for in election? Advertisement on TV, posters, dual, you know, the election campaign system is designed on a very old form of media. Today, if the one law that they should pass, which is a completely non-partisan law, is not a Republican thing, is not a Democratic thing, is not an anybody's thing, but the one law that they should go for to just eliminate the insane level of corruption that's inherent in the system is getting rid of money in politics. How do you do that? Well, they have invested YouTube, they have invented podcasts. You have one channel or one whatever where all the people who are running for that particular office can put out podcast after podcast with their political message, cost next to nothing to set up, you hook a microphone into a computer, you don't need money to do that. You shoot YouTube videos, you don't really need much money to do that either. You put those out there, everybody in that sense has the exact same playing field since there's no more or less money that would make your message more or less appealing. It really boils down to content at that point. And that's the only way in which people will get to pick who they want to vote for. But you completely got rid of the entire political advertising that's at the roots of a lot of the need for money. Well, how am I supposed to keep my TV station in business without that pump up every two years? Right, there's that. Or my radio station. Thank you. It's supposed to be for the public good and borrowing our, you know, spectrum and and airwaves and all, but I don't see how that's going to help my TV station at all. Yeah, I'm afraid it won't. But you tell me, seriously, what do you think? Do you see... What's wrong with this plan? Other than the fact that, I mean, clearly what's wrong with this plan, why it can never work, is because you're asking the people who are the problem to create the solution, to pass a law. Who's going to pass a law? The people who are benefiting from, that's clearly not going to happen. But other than that problem, um, see anything wrong with that plan? No, and I've heard, I believe, I want to say it's Holland, that they give equal amounts of TV time to each of the candidates to come 
give what they want to say in a certain, and then that's it. No more of this, you know, do we really need the six months of advertising? Right. Hillary Clinton wants to eat your children. Right, which she probably does, but that's sure. different. Right, that's the... Yeah, no, I agree with you. And the whole thing is, I would even just keep TV altogether. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people, even if you don't have a computer, you can go to a library and check a computer, watch a YouTube channel, see all the stuff that's out there, skip TV altogether. YouTube podcasting podcasting too you know in this kind of unedited format where you get people who just start rambling along you really get to find out what people are like you really get to see when people are not just calm and collected and they prepare their statement but there's this free-flowing conversation the truth of what somebody's about is gonna show up at some point or another you're gonna catch them in no matter what kind of image they are trying to project you put enough hour of podcasting out there it's gonna become pretty clear what you're about in a lot of ways so to me, is all of this shit is done prior to internet. The whole system is designed for pre-internet days where going door to door, putting the posters in the street with the political advertisement meant something. Today, we don't really need it. And if you get rid of that, you get rid of the one influence that screws up politics, which screws up basically any possible, if there ever is a good role the government can play, you just got rid of it by allowing for the fact that the government it will become by definition corrupt again doesn't matter if who's in power doesn't matter what nation we're talking about it's just the nature of the business that if you allow that kind of money to go into it people will use the money to buy influence to buy votes to decide which way they want the country to go based on um, their own personal interests i think the, the the other notion i've heard from the complete opposite direction is you take all the money but you put it into a big pot, and then when it's clear who the candidates are, they carve it into equal pieces. So even though if the Koch brothers want to put $80 million behind somebody, well, unfortunately, 40 of that's going to go to right. their competitor. Right, right, now, right, it's right. not a good fix at all because, again, the money's there. It's all about the commercials and the endless. Yeah, I'm for making the whole money thing. And like, to me, it's not even that insane because it's something that today internet allows – that 20 years ago, this whole talk would have made no sense because there were, there were no means to put out a message as a candidate on a mass level unless you went to traditional media, through TV, through radio, where, you know, who's going to give you the airtime? Well, you have to buy it, you have to do this and that. Today, that doesn't hold anymore. It's the world has changed. It doesn't make sense anymore. The fact that this is not the number one law that everybody, every single politician in theory should agree on because that would be the one fix to the extreme level of corruption characterizing the political process, tells me that every single one that's not actively going and pushing an idea like this is just like having a giant forehead tattoo that say, I love corruption because that's basically what it's about. It's like, this is not benefiting anybody in particular. This is not going to benefit one party or another. This is not going to benefit one sector of people. This is a simple get rid of extreme corruption. And it is something that, at least in theory, every single person should agree with. It's not exactly rocket science. You're not saying something radical here that is controversial and some people will go for it and some people not. You're not paying attention to my bag of money. I know. That's no, what my it's bag, about. Of mo- bag of money. Yep. I got rivers to poison. And that's that's exactly what it boils down to. You know, it boils down to then in the name of uh, somebody need a pool in their backyard 
horrendous decisions that will affect negatively the life of millions of other people are allowed to be made structurally, systematically, by the way the system is set up, because somebody needs to be paid off. They need their kids to go to college, they need their whatever. So to me, it's like, you're not going to be able to go after individuals involved in this because you get rid of that guy, somebody else comes in with the exact same mentality or if they don't have it to start with, they will have it by the time they are done with it because it's like the whole system pushing that direction is just take the money out, just dry it up and uh, hook a microphone to a computer and uh, do politics that way. That to me, that's what the hell is so hard about making that happen, you know? That's Daniello Bellelli, and he, he he endorses this message. That's right. I I don't even want to go down that hole, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It should be that simple. And if these guys actually and gals actually believe that they're going up there for the benefit of the country and not for the corporate overlords that rule them. I think one of my favorite notions I've heard is that every single one of them should have a blue vest, and every donor that they have should have a patch in relation to the size of the donation that they have to wear on the floor of the Congress. You know, right. oh, here comes Captain Exxon, you know. Yeah. I think things will become very fun. clear very quickly. And no, I'm, I, think, I think you're totally right. The money's got to go, especially with a Supreme Court that's like, oh, no, all the money you can, please. Yeah. And I mean, that Justice it, Roberts must have some money in some TV stations somewhere. You think? Something. No, no but I mean, even that is like, I get it. It's like the Supreme Court saying... Why have just a little corruption at that moment? Just go all out. Have it full on. I mean, we're never going to catch up with the Russians and the corruption thing. So there's no reason to try. To me, it's like, don't even, don't try to mod, like limit on how much corporations can contribute. Just go rid of all of the money. Yeah. Every single dime. It shouldn't cost one dime to run in that regard. You just, you click on the YouTube channel. Oh, that guy is crazy in about six seconds. Okay. I'm not voting for this guy. Next one, you know, and you go down the list. Now, would you have to watch everybody's YouTube thing for at least three minutes or something? Would there be some sort of, you know, you're gonna, you can't just look at the guy you like. You're going to have to have a look at the others. That Ooh, would be sort of, of a, a mix and match, just to right? qualify, you yeah. know? You know, I know nobody wants a poll tax or anything like that, but maybe you should have to go to the trouble of at least looking at the seven candidates' three-minute spiel, yeah, each of them. Maybe after the beginning where you get, you know, you start, skimming off all the people that not even their mom vote for because they are just complete batshit crazy and so you get an initial thing of like some internet poll of who vote for this guy and there are some that know once you start limiting the numbers a little bit then you can have repeated uh, roundtable podcasts where they just go and have full on discussions and no no looking at the questions beforehand Uh and no just oh I love some of these guys. You see, we have the guy right now that's against uh, Governor Brown's crazy train. And he takes an axe and chops the train in half because he's going to cut costs. I mean, come on, man. No, some stuff is it. Politics Didn't anybody be... realize that a train that would go 300 miles per hour between here and San Francisco would be quite popular? Yeah, just a tad. And, and you know, granted, it may seem crazy that Bakersfield to Fresno or whatever the first chunk is. Not exactly the most popular, but the easiest one to build. The easiest one. It's not that crowded. And then you've got that one built. Now you can build your next chunk. Now you can go from San Francisco to Bakersfield right. in two hours. Who wouldn't want that? How do they? Ah! Politics will become a lot more entertaining. Should <sighs> just open up the cages, let it happen. Just, just podcast put style. Put the sabers out and let them go. Yeah, I'm all for politics podcast style. That would be the way to go. 
Wow. Well, we would definitely have a wide collection of crazy, that's for sure. Let's go play. I have a dream today. And now we cross the Ethereum plane for a visit into Bellelli's dream time. Have you ever heard the incredible story of Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura on Star Trek, Mm-mm. that she was going to quit after the first season? And well, she wise goes, choice. Yeah, exactly. Well, apparently she had she was a the, you know theatrical singing actress and had decided that this big play on Broadway was being opened up. Now she was a star, and they had offered it to her. So she goes to Gene Roddenberry and says, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here after the season." He's like, "Oh, I really wish you wouldn't do that." Well, why don't you take the weekend to think about it? So, during the weekend, she goes to some sort of function. And before the function's about to begin, somebody taps her on the shoulder and says, a, a really big fan would like you to come over and say hello to you. She's like, well, it's going to start. Like, well, he's a really big fan. It'll just take a minute. So she steps backstage, and there's Martin Luther King. <laughs> now, nobody is really known for sure if Roddenberry had contacted Martin Luther King right. or how this turned out to be. But he had heard that she was going to quit the show. And he said, you cannot quit the show. You are the first representation of a black face being in a command role on a starship in the future. You cannot quit. So she went back and did the other two seasons. That's hilarious. Isn't that crazy? I never heard that story. That's a great story. That's a great story. That's a good one. She tells it on the internet if you want to look for it. And she tells it much better because she was just blown away. But yeah, he's like, we've worked too hard. And the only roles on TV right now, you're either a servant or a slave. Sure, of course. And this was something nobody ever dreamed of. Well, that's... Pretty awesome. Other than the, somebody who regularly say, I have a dream, probably he had the dream of. And speaking of that, so that's a pretty awesome dream, but that wasn't a dream, that was real. So. Speaking of dreams, the, um, what has been your experience with flying dreams? Um, I've had them before, yeah. and they're quite awesome. How do you have them? Do you fly like Superman-style fly? Do you fly like More bird-style, bird more kind of pelican-esque with a lot of gliding. Okay. But if I get down close to the earth, I can kick the, kick the arms wing-style and get my altitude back. Huh, okay. So it's not really floating. It's definitely an active flying. But I heard all flying dreams are sexual, so... Really? They're definitely going to be active. Really? That's the theory? That flying dreams have a connection with sex? That's something I've heard from some, huh. you know psychic network or somewhere along the way oh so clear reputable yes of course i have no idea where i got that from i've just heard it along the way but yeah i've definitely had them and you know what don't really like waking up from them no they're awesome they're generally awesome you know what's funny every single flying dream i had which actually i haven't had one in a really long time but i had i used to have them all the time and the thing that i I would when the uh, testosterone starts (laughs) to drop screw you that's where the (laughs) answering with the middle finger comes in the um, the whole thing was funny because everyone I would have, I never thought I was dreaming. I would regularly think like, you see, I can fly. I knew it. I, I knew can't it. freaking wait for the yep. next time when I can show everybody that I can pull it off. And the way I would do it was interesting. It wasn't like a bird flapping wings kind of thing. It wasn't a Superman style. It was more like a floating thing where I would just, I would have to think Peter Pan style. I would have to think light thoughts. I would have to almost do like some Qigong thing where you're just breathing and sort of focusing on uh, removing yourself from the ground. And the more you are able to do that, the more ha- the higher you go. 
but I'm really just floating like sometime on my back sometime I'm like and just based on now the intensity of my thinking and focus I can go faster or slower I can get really closer to the ground or I can just breathe deep again and I rise up again and it was awesome every single time I had one is this very chaotic bumpy flying you know it's not a clear cut smooth uh, bird type of thing is this float oh no I'm losing a little bit now let's go back up now let's go but it's hilariously happy and it just and the funny thing is that is one of the only types of dreams where I always think that it's real where I never have that when it finally happens and I'm like I can't believe it happened again now I can finally prove it that you're, I can pull totally it off totally correct about that I mean for sure and by the way this portion of Dreamtime brought to you by our friends at Float Clinic um, without question they are the most memorable ones for sure I mean to the point where the last one I had was the end of my road where we lived in Fort Campbell and that day I happened to figure out how to scoop my hands properly to catch the air right water style yeah 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 and once you get up then you can get some inertia going and off you go and it is clear as day clear as day yep and it feels so damn real. And you're right. You can't wait. I'm going to show everybody. And you can't find a fucking soul. You're just <laughs> flying and flying. Hey, everybody, look up. Yeah, no, no they're always happy dreams for him. I always so, I wake up and I'm, I, yeah, I'm mad when I wake up and I realize, oh, it was, oh, damn, it wasn't real. It's a disappointment. But, uh, yeah, it feels great. But it does, it is the kind of dream that has that uh, Taoist, the Chuan Tzu story element with the whole Chuan Tzu uh waking up and his disciple asking me you know what was he dreaming and something he said he was dreaming he was a butterfly but then the whole enigma of it all is like but now i'm confused now i don't know if i am chuan's when i was dreaming i was a butterfly or if i'm really a butterfly and all of this other stuff that's happening to me is me butterfly dreaming that i'm chuan's i'm a little confused about that and it's uh that's the one that I got from Flying Dreams, where I'm totally sure when they're happening that that's the real reality. For know? sure. That's an awesome notion, though, that which is the dream is which is reality. I right. Because the song tells us, merrily, 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 life right. is but a dream. Indeed. Multiverse, multiverse, multiverse. Multiverse times. Or my favorite notion is the, is the, is the Duncan notion that you fall out of this one and wake up 7.30 in the third grade, wait for school, <laughs> and off you are for the next 60 years in that one. Right. With, without even a notion of yep. the last one. Just jump. While we dream our silly dreams and uh, do the good stuff while we're asleep. Yeah, hopefully in the next one, flying will be an option. Well, that's why I refuse. Anybody who puts a bird in a cage, I just don't get it. Yeah. That's Is there a crueler of, thing in the yeah, world? That's not cool. I agree. I love you, baby. Our giant 700-pound friend is tells us it's Isabella moment time. Indeed. So, a couple of quick ones. Um, this was way back in the day. She was probably two years old, maybe three at most. We were grocery shopping and... Um, Trader, good old Trader Joe, and she was it, sitting in the cart, and I was pushing the cart, and I keep hearing her as I'm, you know, looking for various kinds of food and grabbing this and that, and I keep hearing her guys, that's a woman, that's a man, that's a man, that's a man, that's a woman, 
And every time I look up, she always got it right. She was probably two, so she was little, and it was still exciting to get those things right and that kind of thing. I'm still happy when I get it right. <laughs> well, on that note, that's exactly where this is going. Yay! Because, um, you know, after a while, I'm not paying much attention, because... And I just hear her voice, but I'm not really even looking at the people she's commented about anymore. And all of a sudden after, that's a woman, that's a man, that's a woman, that's a man. I hear her going, that's a... And just, she stops. And she's totally stamped, right? And the music from the crying game begins in the background. Basically, like I turn to pay attention and she's staring at someone with this really, she's really puzzled. Like she's really trying to figure out man, woman, man, woman, what's going on. And then I realized that she's looking at the most flamboyant, flaming gay man I've ever seen. And, you know, she's not judging or saying anything like, who is not a judgment thing. She's just honestly very confused. She's like, I had these two categories so far, man, woman, and I really don't know where to place this guy because it's, again, guy, it's hard to tell for... He was, I was on the floor because again, it was none of the, is that we are all, there's none of the social influence or comments or judgment on it or none of that stuff. There is just that question mark of like, huh, I thought I lived in a binary world. Turns out it's more complicated than that. You can almost hear the little question mark box starting to open its way up between the left, right, male, female. Apparently there's a third category. Exactly. That was or category as well finally i'm learning it right it's been a while but (laughs) and another one also from old times um she's probably three at this point and uh, i was going to work and she's like are you going to work i'm like yeah baby i have to go to work she's like why like maybe i need to make money okay and like she's like why again the famous why 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 that continues forever when they are kids right I quite, I'll try to figure out, bring it in a way that she'll understand and applies to her, right? You know, you see all your toys, that's where they come from, right? I need to go and make some money if you want me to buy toys for you. Or you like ice cream? Well, again, I need to pay for that ice cream. I need to go and make some money. And, and she just jump up really, really like intense. She's like, no, 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 no. Okay, I don't want any more toys. I don't want any ice cream. I, I don't want any of that. I just don't go to work. And I was like, that's a hell of a pitch. You know what? Screw going to work today. And uh, I rarely ever call in sick or anything. That day I was like, yep, not going today. That's just not going to happen. And Because, uh, yeah, how, how do you? How do I say no to that? It's like, shit, I, I have a two to three-year-old telling me I don't want ice cream or toys. Just stay home with me. I'll stay home with you. That's just where it's at. So when did you guys go get ice cream? So eventually, at some point down the road, but not that day. You know, that day was clear that, you know, I didn't want to m- mess with her head after f- having just finished Absolutely. saying something and do it. So, you know, we kept it that way and we played and she was perfectly happy. And I'm like, okay, you know, that works. And uh, even recently, she said something that left me. It was pretty funny. She was saying, I don't want to get too rich. I'm like, why don't you want to get too rich? What's going on? He's like, well, because then all I'm going to have is gold everywhere and I, you know, I can't have room for anything else. There will just be gold all over. So I just want to be a little and she just move her hands maybe one foot apart and she's like, I just want to be this rich. That would be good. I was like, hmm, that's, I'm not exactly what two hands, one foot apart exactly mean in terms of money, but whatever that is, it looks like a good answer. Seems like enough. If yeah. it was a stack of hundred, you'd be okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So wow. on that note, that's the glorious wisdom of Isabella Hanbolelli.
Babies are sweet. It's time to delve deep inside the digital mail sack and see what sort of awesome questions have been sent to us by our audience. What do we got? Here we got Matt Kraft asking us, uh, can you please talk about your opinion of psychedelics and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, your experiences, knowledge, etc., etc.? Now, Tibetan Book of the Dead, I read it way, way, way long ago. I don't really remember crap about it. I did have... Uh, I've had uh, discussions with Tibetan monks regarding the whole idea about the cycle of reincarnation, which if I remember correctly, they say it has 48 or 49 days. I can't remember right now after that, that you go, the soul kind of goes through the state before being reincarnated. So there's a gap of like basically less than two months before one death and next reincarnation, according to It's them. a refurbishment, like an old cell phone. <laughs> right, exactly. There's uh, so, but yeah, on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, to be perfectly honest, I'm really not the best person to get into it because whatever I know is fragmentary at best. I have little bits of piece of information regarding psychedelics, too. You know, there's um, interesting that you're bringing this up now because it keeps there seems to be a call around me that pushed me in that direction in a lot of ways. Because, well, let's start with the basics of beside uh, experiences with weed uh, with um, one experience that i had that sort of discouraged me for too much psychedelic experimentation it was so in theory mild because it was only hashish you know hashish is uh, the um, is the raisin basically from the marijuana plant so that you can get as people are working in marijuana plant they get their hands covering this uh, raisin they scrape it off turn it into ash and all of that that's sort of one of the traditional ways of making it but in any case in italy for reasons i don't really understand there really there's very little marijuana there's a lot of hashish somehow hashish is more popular in the middle east than uh, marijuana and that's where a lot of the hashish in italy come from is lebanese moroccan stuff like that so one day we decided as 16 year olds or something that it was a great idea to make um, um, tea with ashish and um, we read the direction we find the cookbook all of that and we put some we boiled the tea made it but it turns out that out of five six people that were supposed to do that there were only two of us left and so we were like I guess it's a lot more than for two people it should go, but whatever, why not? You know, waste not, why uh, not, friend? Exactly. So rather than what they say is typically half a gram of ash for uh, each person in there, and we ended up putting two and a half grams for each person. <laughs> we drink this tea, and you know, an hour goes by, I feel nothing. Hour and a half goes by, I feel nothing. I'm like, what a waste! I can't believe we wasted five grams of good ash on this. This is crap. Okay. You, See you tomorrow in school. Okay, bye, bye. You know, <laughs> I go to sleep and all hell break loose. Like I wake up and it takes me 25 minutes to make it from my bed to the bathroom, which in case you're wondering, was not located in a house that required 25 minutes of walking. It was about maybe 12 feet away from me. And I just have no control, like my body just does not respond to my intentions. And when I eventually crawl back into bed and uh, get in there, it's the most anxiety-driven night ever. You know, my heart is beating like 3,000 beats per minute. And about every five seconds, I open my eyes and I go, 
oh my god who am i where am i and then like suddenly i remember i remember who i am i remember where i'm at and then lights out i kind of almost lose consciousness and three seconds later i wake up and i'm like oh, who am i where am i and i do that for the next eight hours non-stop so by the time i was done with that i was like you know what i don't know that i can handle psychedelics if that sounds some, terrible if some freaking ash tea can get me this bad i don't know that i have maybe i'm too anxious to be able to handle it and all of that never mind the fact that also with the psychedelics like i got into i was reading a lot of timothy leary and stuff about ram das and lsd and all of that when i was 14 forward and even just the reading about it i found it life-changing because there was so much about really description of what essentially were mystical experiences that were very deep very beautiful sort of alter my perception of things even just reading about it but a i did not have good hookups and one of the problems with this kind of stuff is that you really want to make sure you have good hookups you don't want to you know especially with something like lsd what the hell is that it's like a dot of something where you have no idea what chemical have gone in there who made it how so unless you know the person who make it it's a sketchy proposition that's windex yeah it's so i was not especially after the ash thing i was not into experimenting for a lot of my bravery had left me by that point i was like ish i really want to be comfortable with the situation i want to know what i'm doing and this does not feel like it right so i was like so a lot of uh, mushrooms were really not an Italian thing. There was very little to no access whatsoever. So, you know, based on that, even though I once met uh, Albert Hoffman, the creator of LSD, that was pretty fun. He Hell was this, yeah. He was an old guy. He was in his 80s by then, and he was in a suit and tie, like a true Swiss chemist, you know. like He originally had created LSD as a cure for headaches, and you know maybe it was right who knows hell yeah but uh he had an interesting take on acid because what he said was that what goes by lsd 99 percent of what's out there is not lsd it's what people sell is made with different compounds because he said what he made was made in a way that requires certain com certain chemical reactions that were pretty difficult to obtain the raw material for it and there wouldn't be the market for a mass uh thing for so again again in his theory his lsd was actually completely safe and uh, pleasant experience and a lot of what was on the street was not maybe he's right maybe he's not i have no idea but in any case the um, point being i kind of kept away uh i was interested in the whole psychedelic scene but more culturally than uh, opportunity wise or so on i eventually remember trying salvia which is oddly legal in california which is bizarre because salvia is a pretty serious hallucinogenic but even then you know everybody around me tripped out like there was no tomorrow and um my wife took this hit and you know normally they tell salvia is about 10 minutes process 45 minutes later she was still into it which was not fun at all jesus yeah and you know it was weird i took like two hits and did nothing to me and so after seeing her i'm like you know maybe i'll leave it here i'll, I'll stop right here maybe it's a sign that then the one time what is that i did i um, how did she come out of it did she like um 
it was not a good experience but she felt that maybe it was because she was uh, going with too much anxiety maybe she would have should have let go a little more yeah i've heard exactly so, if you're ill prepared you're not going if you're not going in a good state yeah she was actually more than willing to try again that never happened but she was thinking you know maybe i should have relaxed if i relax a little more it would probably be a little better but some people check it off their list for all time yeah it can be intense but the one thing that i did end up doing along with good old Duncan Trussell and um, we tried um, DMT and um, that was also funny because <laughs> it is Duncan you know he takes these hits of DMT and he's just out in another universe and he has this happy stupid smile on his face where he's just like I can see God and this universe is being revealed to me and he's like you know the sky opened and all sorts of stuff happened and i'm here and i'm smoking the exact same stuff i take like seven million hits and what i got out of it was i definitely was affected by it but it was like the biggest weed high ever right it was more like i got this enormously strong body high where i feel like my body's melting into the couch and it's very pleasant you know but it's no hallucination whatsoever no, awesome no visual huh? no Ugh. i actually thought i was having one because i look at the ceiling and it's all completely distorted but then i find out that duncan's ceiling is just fucked up and it's just all broken <laughs> and stuff so i was like oh okay so that's actually real it's not and what i did get was again similar to a very strong weed experience was everything was making me laugh like crazy like at one point Duncan got up and he had this funny look on his face and he was thinking about taking another hit and then he stopped and sat back and I just remember thinking what a goofy bastard you are and I just started laughing non-stop for like five minutes I was having a blast so it was a very pleasant experience but it was not a psychedelic experience in a classic sense you know it was not uh, one of those more deep intense powerful one was uh, so there was that which was fun and all but again it's not the same uh, kind of thing the um, talking recently with um, Aubrey Marcos with Amber Lyon with some of them where they are such huge psychedelic advocates in terms of believing that this is not just not even just purely for experimentation or for fun or anything but that this is medicine that this is healing that if done properly this can heal you mentally physically restra they have this view of like this is the best thing in the universe so i am more i think that's more likely than not that's what's going to happen is whether we're talking about ayahuasca whether you're talking about mushrooms i'm not exactly sure what would be the best way to go but definitely it seems to be calling me and yet i um you know if i have to tell you right here right now the experiences i've had are fairly limited in that regard so that's kind of where it's at the thing that interests me that also came up in discussion with aubrey and amber is the and also came up in the all the readings i've done on this stuff is the the idea that if you're gonna do it there's a right way to do it and there's a not right way to do it there's a a bunch of these traditions whether you're looking at soma in hinduism whether you're looking at kikeon among ancient greeks all of this there's idea that these are not party drugs this is not stuff that you take for oh let's see what happens and let's go at a party that's let's give a bunch of acid to some sorority girls that don't know what they're doing and take them to see dracula yeah that not really the right idea i won't right? say why i know that's a terrible idea oh. i'm just gonna tell you that that's a terrible idea <laughs> 
We'll just leave that parked right there. You are a bad human being. That's oh, all I have to say. Seemed like a good idea at the time, I'm sure. God, but... Once it gets scary, it'll be awesome. Yeah, nuts. <laughs> I saw... Uh, what was it? A jo- I saw it on Twitter. Somebody tweeted it to Peter. What was this scene that said, uh, Hey, Grandma, have you seen that bag labeled LSD somewhere that I left around? And Grandma responded, Screw that. Have you seen the dragon in the kitchen? <laughs> But yes, that yeah. makes quite a bit of sense. But no, and the thing so to me is there's uh, if it is indeed something sacred, as the people who really take it seriously seem to hint at, you know, that this is sacred stuff. This is not, again, drink freaking a glass of wine if you want to, you know, get drunk, get happy, laugh around, that kind of thing. Great. Even with, to some degree, as a more, some people take it as a more sacrament, psychedelic, some people purely as I have fun and whatever psychedelics themselves to me from the way i understand them they seem to be something that are designed for a particular use call it therapeutic psychological call it religious deep spiritual experience but it seems to be designed for that not to fuck around with not to just who i want to try to see how it feels like Mm. or to be around a thousand people yeah that definitely a bad idea it's like you want a good setting quiet spot maybe some candles yeah people crayon or two candles assuming that you not knock them over and set yourself on fire um the people only if you're gonna have anybody around only people you trust with your life sorry sketchy dave you don't get to come no no way in hell or even good people but if they have a weird vibe or you're not 100 comfortable with them not a good idea for that day so it's interesting to me reading about soma in hinduism the whole idea that one of the tales is that because soma many believe that he was this powerful hallucinogenic that was uh, key to early hinduism and that the priest rather than they started seeing a lot of people misusing it and kind of missing the sacred aspect of it and sort of using it for kicks and rather than having that happen, they eventually let the secret for the recipe for the preparation of it let die out as opposed to letting people abuse it. And again, why would you do those if you are looking for kicks? You know, it's like peyote, ayahuasca. Uh, these are things that make you throw up your soul that are not t- good tasting, that are not, you know, it's this intense... So unless you do it for a therapeutic purposes, if you're looking for fun, oh, that's not. It's not you're the looking in the, the wrong button. That's yeah, for sure. you are looking in the wrong place. So that's my take on it. Again, so take you know the experience with all of its limits, and um, you know I'm sure ultimately you know is get your own experience in that regard, or as Jimi Hendrix would say, are you experienced? Yeah, and be respectful but, of it. That's yeah. a major, major. Key, you're not key, messing key. around. No. That's serious stuff. No, there's no time to be the hot shot. Oh, I can take all of them. Hand it all over. Uh, 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 uh. And so, yeah, even the tea when your six friends are gone, taking it all is not a good plan. I'll never forget. We were, um, after Jerry Garcia died, the dead still toured for a little while. Sure. And those are definitely folks that added the mystical level to their existence yep. as they went to the shows and a friend of mine had been to many shows over the years so he's like don't worry we'll go down it's gonna be awesome and wait till i bump into scooby do i want to know what scooby is well apparently he's the guy with the great acid okay well in that case so um okay so we're off looking at tie-dye t-shirts and you know getting ready for the show and having a wonderful time it's a great day and along comes 
friend back had freshly visited with Scooby. He's got two little tiny hits. Like, eh, there's there's four of us, man. He's like, yeah, we'll do a quarter hit now, and we'll do a quarter hit right before the show, man. And we're like, no, there's no way. The little tiny, tiny right. little, you know, smallest little ripped piece you can yeah. put. All right. Ding, 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 ding. Well, by the time it's showtime, we could barely keep our shit together enough to get the show kicker in. Right. Ziggy Marley opened and played for two hours. The band played for like another two and a half hours, and it went by like it was 40 seconds. Of course. Zoom! Then comes the adventure trying to get back home. Ooh, that's the bad part. Because we are zinging for many an hour. Yeah, so. not time to drive, definitely. Not time to drive, kids. So no. always bring a sitter, somebody yeah. that's not going to be happy with you all in the morning, one bit. But be careful. Yeah. Don't be silly. On that note, on the Grateful Dead experience, I, had, I have to tell this tale. I can't remember if I brought it up before or not, but it's too cool. And if I did, worth repeating. You met Albert Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. No, and that was definitely fun. And Holy God, smokes. He was a cool guy. I liked him. But no, the, this is a Grateful Dead tale, which is um, a, a student of mine from Iran at um, in college. He told me this tale that was just so wild and bizarre that's worth repeating he said that when he by the time he was 13 years old growing up in iran during the middle of the iran iraq war the iranian government recruited him along with a bunch of other 13 years old and sent him against iraqi tanks to go fight in the war so he was 13 yeah in a full-on war at 13 he said at one point the only reason he was alive is when they one of his friends strapped a bunch of bombs to his chest and dove f- uh, under a tank to blow up the tank that was coming for them, all of that. So that's what he experienced when he was 13, yeah. And uh, after three million adventure, managed to survive, came to the United States, went to a Grateful Dead concert, and in his tale is... So after that, I went to a Grateful Dead concert, took LSD, saw God, and my life changed forever after. And I was like... That's as cool of a tale as I've ever heard. Hell yeah. Uh, from a 13-year-old. You think you got problems, friends. If you haven't strapped bombs to your friend so he could blow up a tank in front of you, yeah. you ain't got no goddamn problems. Precisely. So that was a glorious tale right there. Wow. But um, let's see. Other questions. Let's jump into one. Oh, damn, I forgot to, uh, his name. Sorry, man. I know you sent me an email from a different email address who actually did reveal your name, but tough luck so you're stuck with zen samurai which was his previous email that's a good name and um one thing he asked here regarding the whole um he's not christian but he said my thoughts about the whole turn the other cheek approach the sort of forgiveness as opposed to striking back and uh, you know as a martial artist you find that this creates some issues sometimes with some people who have been raised with a very you know forgive people don't strike back and all of that What's the boundary between forgiveness and self-defense? And um, what else does he say? Um, I guess my attitude in this regard is the... um, I'm going to be good to others before a fight begins. Okay, I'm going to try to give you every chance in the world to walk away. Because the reality is that there are very, very few reasons to get into a fight that are worth it, that I would want to get into a fight for. There's not that much. So unless you already have done those things that warrant me getting into a fight with you, 
I don't really want to get into one and I'm just gonna be more than happy to try to be super nice to you to find whatever way it takes to make sure we don't have to get into a fight until until if the line is crossed and the fight is on well the time to be good has ended by that point there's no more and i'm really not a big believer in the whole notion of uh, uh there's no fairness in a fight you know if you if you want fairness you fight in a sport which is not you know fighting fighting is uh, combat sports that's a different game then you play by the rules and you fight fair all of that in a fight the way i look at it is you never know the outcome you don't know what's gonna happen all sort of nasty things can happen i don't know if the guy is not gonna pull a knife all of a sudden i don't know if so there's no such thing as being nice to me it's like the second the fight is on is uh hit the other guy mid-sentence while i say i really don't want to fight that would be the way to start it and anything that does not involve kicking him in the ball seven times in the first five seconds there's something wrong with it because it's like all the things that they tell you you shouldn't do that's exactly what you want to do in a fight right it's like so to me is all the chances in the world come first and you should give them and you should not get to that point for some stupid reason or somebody catch you off in traffic or some silly bullshit like that you know there really is no point because to me precisely because i take it seriously when the fight is on there's no way to tell how it's gonna turn out there's no way to tell what kind of damage can be done there's no because there's no playing it nice you know i've known a lot of people who got into fight and thought i am a martial artist i'm going to control this person and uh, try not to hurt them but a recipe for failure time and time again you know i've had the guys who uh, are working on these leverages to lock up this guy who in the meantime has a helmet on because he was on a motorcycle and headbutt them and make them lose conscience it's like I've heard so many nasty, terrible stories of people trying to be nice during a fight as to make me think that the time to be nice ends the second the first punch is thrown, you know, is that's where the whole thing goes away. Well, that was Dalton's rule in Roadhouse, you know. Yeah. Be polite until it's time not to be polite. That makes perfect sense to me. And on that note, I've seen uh, questions pop up. I've seen that debate on the Internet recently quite a bit regarding uh, whether it's ever appropriate like in this case was applied to uh, uh, whether it's ever okay for a, a man who's attacked by the woman to hit her back and again my thing is it's very simple you never have to worry about me hitting you if you don't hit me it's that simple right it just it begins and then right there but the second you decide to take that choice and walk that path and cross that line then screw you i don't care who you are you know i care if i have con- even with to me is a matter even of educate like even with kids right you know you don't hit kids that's just wrong at the same time if um my daughter will be in a cranky mood she'll be pissed off she decided she want to get a reaction out of me so maybe she'll come and just dig her nails in my forearm just to see if that piss me off and she can get me mad and i'm gonna try i'm not gonna get mad i'll try to but I'm not going to let it slide either. And if I just tell her, oh, don't do it because it actually hurts. She's in that mode where she's pissed off. She doesn't care about anything, right? So I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to give you as much force as you give me. Not proportional, clearly, because mine is a lot more than hers, but just what you gave me. So I'm going to put my nail in your forearm and the more you push into mine, I'll push into yours just to give you an instant karma lesson to see and you decide whether it's time to stop or if you want to continue this game. 
to me that's education it's uh, learn what the boundaries are learn what the consequences are learn that there are consequences for your actions and if you don't want to get slugged don't slug anybody very very simple so again about men women thing i'm just like i'm equal opportunity i don't punch anybody men or women just don't punch me first (laughs) there you have it everybody yes on that happy note um peace and love to everyone remember gandhi said an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind That's right, everybody. Storytime brought to you by our friends with the new T-shirts. New Dragon Towers T-shirts available from our friends at Sure Design T-shirt. Happy nipples make happy people. That's indeed a fact. Thank you, Bennett. And now let's roll. Today's story is uh, is not a historical thing, as far as I know, at least. I think is it's a Zen story. It's a Zen tale about. Uh, it's co- uh, found in this anthology called uh, Zen Flash Zen Bones, which is a really cool anthology of Zen. I think uh, I have like four of the forty-eight figured out of that thing. Right. That thing is. Uh, I believe the number of stories in there are one on one. Yeah, there are one hundred and one story. And I read that book many times in my life. First time I think I was eleven or so, and I read it, and yeah, I understood probably two stories. This was one of the two, by the way, the one that I'm going to bring up now. I remember the easiest one was grandfather die, father die, son die. Yeah, which is the natural order of things. And if that's upset, then you're really in big trouble. But yes, yeah. I remember that. That one yeah, was... It's funny. Now I'm probably up to 30 maybe that I get that click that makes sense to me. Uh, and there's still a 70, then not so much. But um, in each, yeah, the first round was probably two, then four, six, eight, ten. Uh, now I'm at a decent, in any case. This is one of my favorite of all times. I really love this story. It's called uh, Onami. I guess not that I know, but I take the reward for it as Japanese for great waves. Uh, the tale is about this one wrestler. They don't really define wrestling in the translation. I don't get it if it's sumo wrestling, if it's like a judoka kind of guy or what type, but some kind of combat sport guy, uh, some type of wrestler named uh, Onami. Big waves. And... Um, the story is that he's this insanely good fighter. He's amazing. His techniques, you know, he, even the best teachers in Japan, he beats everyone in private. In public, as soon as he steps up, he's so freaked out by having everybody's eyes on him that he gets so shy that even his own students can beat him during public matches. It just. And so clearly, the guy has. There's a bit of a mismatch, haha <laughs> pun so to speak, between his uh, uh, real skills that he can display only within the room of his school versus outside during public performances where he just sucks, you know, all his techniques go out the window because he's too busy feeling self-conscious and scared and weirded out. And so you realize he's got a problem and this is not a technical problem that can be fixed by going to a better wrestling teacher. So he goes to a Zen master appealing for help and uh, he goes... uh, and he's basically telling me, you know, look, this is my issue. This is what I'm going through. It's clearly more of a psychological issue and so on. And the solution that the Zen master finds for him uh, deals with his very name. He says, look, your name refers to these big waves. Okay, so here is what I want you to do. This is the kind of meditation that I want you to focus on. Stay in this temple right here tonight and spend the whole night imagining that you are this 
waves that emerge imagine the process of waves forming in the ocean see them go and rushing toward the beach play that game and as you do that you are no longer a wrestler who's afraid you are those natural powers that are sweep everything in front of them swallowing everything in their path and destroying everything that stay between them and their target do this and you'll become the greatest wrestler in the land and with that zen master say okay i'm off you have fun stay and meditate so our guy onami sit there in meditation and he try to imagine himself as the waves he keeps and at first his mind is just wavering in every direction all sort of other external thought comes in and then he keep you know that happens to anybody who try to meditate right but the point is he's persistent so he goes back to okay i've stepped away from the waves let's go back let's focus on that and now he gets 30 seconds before the next distraction okay now let's go back and he does it over and over again until his mind stays on these waves for longer and longer periods and before you know it during the night he starts seeing these waves get bigger and bigger and bigger and he starts seeing now you know the waves start sweeping even the temple he's in they start just rushing through destroying it destroyed the buddha in the shrine the, the whole temple around him in his imagination is nothing but water flowing back and forth in every which direction by the time dawn comes along and his uh, zen teacher is back he looks at him and he's just onami sitting there meditating with a big smile on his face so his Zen teacher is like, patted him on the back, say, okay, now nothing can disturb you. You are those waves. You will sweep everything in front of you. That same day, he goes off to a wrestling contest, dominate, and from there on, nobody's able to touch him for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. The thing that I dug about this story is the, the relationship with fear, the relationship with something that, you know, you can develop all the greatest technique, you can develop any special skill even if you don't apply to fighting but as long as you are afraid doesn't really matter because all that stuff get taken away from you you know the, those are skills that you no longer have access to the second you give in to fear and so this whole idea of meditation as a way to click into what essentially is this problem which is a psychological one and not trying to address that as in I shouldn't be afraid of those 10,000 people who are looking at him because he's like, yeah, you can tell yourself that as many times as you want and you're still going to be scared shitless. You know, you're not going to fix it that way. But focusing on something else, focusing on something positive, in this case, focusing on this image of waves and using the image and connecting it to yourself. I don't know I dig it, man. I think there's something very deep in there that can be applied by anybody for multiple situations even if you don't happen to be a wrestler in 1800s japan you can apply the exact same meditative technique to deal with your own issues and your own problems so to quote duncan trussell i guess this is homework time this is something that you can do and try for yourself i remember trying it once it was funny it was in um, high school i um, I figure I wanted to do the same thing and I like this image, I like this image of the waves, so I wanted to try, but you know, when you fall asleep, especially because I wasn't meditating, I was freaking going to sleep, right? So my whole idea was I'm going to keep thinking about it before I fall asleep and then I'm going to try to dream about it. But of course, easier said than done because once you're asleep, your mind goes all over the place. And the next thing you know, you're flying. Exactly. (laughs) But here is what I did instead. Italy has a very weird system. The, um, there's a way 
there are these uh, i don't even know what they are called what are called the things that you use to kind of you lower the shades to sort of make more shade in a room the blinds they, blinds yeah. that's what they're called they are these blinds that are inside the wall you don't see them during the day and then you pull this rope and they come down on the window straight down where you can make the room just pitch black like it could be 1 p.m with torrid sun outside and you'd not see one ray of light inside the room right it's complete and total darkness so I, that's how i used to sleep like a vampire in fact i remember <laughs> coming to the united states to visit and being here and i can't sleep there's too much light i know i would be awake at like 6 a.m going <laughs> how do these motherfuckers sleep there's just even yet yeah, that you call that a blind are you kidding me i can't read in this room with they this call it blind because you can't see with all the light in your eye exactly it's so i was not happy but in any case <laughs> So because I was used to sleeping in complete pitch black, I figure here is what I can do to keep going back to my uh, to my dream meditation sequence. I'm going to leave the blinds a little bit up. So even during the night, just the light from the streets is going to come in. And because I'm not used to it, it's going to kind of give me a much lighter kind of sleep. I'm going to keep waking up every so often going, what the hell is, oh yeah, that's the light again, okay. And because of that, every time I wake up, I have that moment where I'm like, what was I dreaming about? And in some cases, I was still dreaming about the waves. And in some cases, I moved far beyond. So then I would fall back to sleep thinking about the waves again and playing this game over and over during the night. So I slept sort of light the whole night, but I did sleep and I did keep going back to this wave image over and over and over again. And the next day I had one of the nightmares that still tortured me to this day, which is Latin and Greek class. Ooh five years of latin and greek i was tortured with as a teenager all, not even greek. All, in, all in one night yeah no in that case i think the next day i had an exam in greek translation where oh. they give you a passage and you have to translate the whole thing it's painful right from ancient greek to modern italian i sucked at it really bad and that day again power of the mind or however you will i got like a really high score on it which i never got a high score on that thing right i always suck that greek so bad it's not even funny i got this really probably the best score i ever had and i was like oh damn this stuff works it also takes energy so i remember i tried it another time and i couldn't pull it off and i kept falling asleep and the waves were not with me but I was like, hmm, this is kind of cool. You know, it was, uh, I'm sure there are other ways to set it up that don't involve spending years in pitch black sleep in order to do it. I'm sure you can do it through meditation rather than sleep. But I remember trying it and having it work for me, having that psychological moment of going, wow, this stuff can actually, I can pull it off. So there was that as far as the... You know you really got it going well when surfers start showing up. Yeah, exactly. Dude, <laughs> these waves are huge. These are gnarly, man. Yeah. yeah. Only later I figure out that that's where the term tsunami come from, because I get two sense for huge waves, whereas tsunami are just big. Not that scary. But in any case, so on that note, that's your story for the day. the funky jam means that it is closing time for another great episode of the drunken house podcast number 44 is in the books everybody and uh 
just time for us to say some thank yous to a few people. I'm just going to jump in real quick. The Kiva stuff is going like gangbusters. This is a pre-record, so I can't tell you the exact numbers, but if uh, everything's going the way it is, we'll probably be very close to our goal. But please, feel free. Get in there. Donate $25 to somebody to help them out all over the world, anywhere you want to, United States included for your grumpy uncle, because it's not just them commies over there in Zimbabwe. Um, It's something for everybody. And one thing that's endlessly fascinating to me is that charity levels, especially like per capita, um, way higher amongst people of lower financial status. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. It is interesting. Those of us down here on the bottom don't mind helping each other out. That's really bizarre. So a message to you, Golden Sachs and everybody else. Time's running short. Time to get charitable. I like the way you put it. This fall is going to be a bitch for you people. Other things to bring up. Our t-shirts have been uh, shipping for a while. Those of you guys who realize that you cannot possibly live without one of them. Just get on in the episode notes there will be the link where you can order them and uh, if you have a you know if you think your size may be kind of actually you know what is never a bad idea to shoot me an email to check for size to make sure we have it in stock but yes the t-shirts are on both the old ones with the logo the new ones with the whole dionysian party happening thing um my mom's book dakota warrior is on amazon if you guys want to check it again there's a link in the episode notes Thank you to Daisy House for the always awesome soundtrack. Uh, thank you for some of our affiliate, Coracao Chocolate and Audible. Coracao, it's hard to even find words to encourage people to eat chocolate because really do I need to encourage you to eat chocolate? It just, it's chocolate. It's enough said. Did they ever come That's, up with a new name? Uh, you know what? I don't think they did, but I may be completely delirious by now, so it's we're recording two episodes back to back and we just had some serious thai food in the middle so by now i'm seeing double no, but that's um, the mushrooms i slipped into your that's also helps and um and audible 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 you just sign up for a month you try it you like it you got a free book you don't like it you're done never use it again you don't have to pay if you decide to use it i believe it's 15 dollars a month if i recall correctly and uh, anything else we need to play with thank you to, to those of you guys who review us on itunes very sweet and having said that yes so no donations for this month since we're pre-recording and uh, i'll probably do it at the end of summer anything else nothing nada, nada, nada. so on that note i really truly seriously sincerely something else i could add to this alliteration hope that you guys have an awesome summer and uh, have a good one and be good humans So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. 
in questo caso, in questo caso le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> This was great. It's fucking awesome. Get back to work.